everybody. Welcome to the Jerick Show. I, as always, am your host, Javad Malik. And we have got an action-packed, that's right, an action-packed episode. More fun than a 80s episode of Batman and Robin. Was it the 80s or the 70s? I don't know. I'm not that old, but I've seen the reruns. Anyway, today we are talking about a Florida man. We are wondering whether MFA is actually 99% effective or not. We look at ransomware gangs, which let you search their index data. Uh, Google makes an update to their password manager and why everything is not quite cricket. All that and more coming up on this week's show. Welcome to The Jarek Show, featuring your hosts, Javad Malik and Eric Crone. Timely topics, poorly presented. And speaking of Florida man, Eric is not the story, but he is a Florida man. So welcome. Hey, it's great to be back. Uh, been, gosh, a whole week or something, right? Cool. Did you forget to put your brain back in? It's glowing in the background. It's wearing the same hat as you, maybe. Uh, no, that's a CISSP hat over wherever the hell that is. There. He's got a CISSP hat on. He's smart this week. I don't know if you noticed he had a cowboy hat on for a little while. No, no I didn't notice. No. Um, and what's South 6th Avenue? Is there some something? Oh, that's just uh, from back home. Um, it was kind of the place we used to go. As a teenager, we used to go like cruising up and down South 6th, you know, in the cars with the music. with the. And that's an old, old, old aluminum street sign from there. And I just, I don't know, it's something I've had around for a while I really liked. So when you moved out of town, you just stole the only thing that was worth anything there, the street sign. I actually bought it at a yard sale, so I didn't do the stealing. I may have fenced and stolen goods. But I didn't actually steal the sign. Well, it's a good one for you. for your neighborhood. That's probably one of the only street signs that doesn't have bullet holes in it. <laughs> well, South Sixth Avenue was definitely a place for that sort of thing. So, yeah. Wow. Well, you know, uh, that's Eric from the hood. Uh, <laughs> as, <laughs> I look forward to your rap career uh, taking off sometime soon. Anyway, speaking of Florida men. Uh, a Florida man has been charged with selling fake Cisco equipment in one billion with a B dollar scheme. That just sounds uh, quite remarkable. Um, yeah, yeah. He wasn't messing around um, selling this stuff on even like uh, Amazon and stuff. Amazon had to take it down a couple times. Um, he was known. He had cease and desist letters. Uh, his lawyer provided fake invoices to try to show that the equipment was legitimate. It wasn't. Um, and then eventually, shockingly enough, he got arrested. What? How crazy is that, right? Who would have thought? But it's, it's kind of, you know, I love it when you talk. You know, I know you love it when I talk about my military career. <laughs> but when I work for the government, especially in the military, um, there were certain places that we could buy stuff from for exactly this reason. Um, there is stuff like that that goes on out there. And there are factories out there that produce this fake stuff that looks just like it. And cha-ching, you know, they're making money. hundred million in revenue. Wow. Um, yeah. Crazy, and a, isn't it? A billion dollars worth of stuff. So you see there, Amazon and eBay blocked 
numerous storefronts, but he was even selling on those. Crazy, huh? Yeah. Wow. And uh, do the do the unwitting purchasers actually get anything back? Do they get a refund on their dodgy equipment? I mean, it's it's quite quite remarkable. Yeah, that would be a tough one because by the time you can prove that, by the time you go through, you know, if you purchased it on a credit card or something like that, and then try to prove to them that it's actually fake goods, I, I don't know if anyone got their money back. I'm, I'm assuming some found ways to do that, but for a lot of people, it's maybe a little bit too late. Well, Florida man strikes again. And I know this is a story that that's very near and dear to your heart because MFA, multi-factor authentication, apparently can stop 99% of all. Sorry. At least. Let, let, <laughs> I'm trying to say it with a straight face, but I can't. <laughs> yeah, we've definitely had this discussion about that. And we, you know, this goes back to like RSA, where um, Roger Grimes, our colleague, kept just exploding every time somebody did a, a talk and said something about how MFA will stop like 99% of attacks. And, you know, I've done stuff in the past uh, where Google had these, uh, you know, the, the Titan keys, which I have one around here somewhere. I don't know. But uh, the Google Titan keys, they came out and they had said it was a Krebs article that said uh, that when Google did these keys, they, they completely eliminated phishing within their organization for a year. And it turned out it was just account takeovers due to phishing, which makes yeah. sense. Yeah. But there's so much misinformation on phishing or on MFA out there that they always prove, you know, they want to show it to be this big thing. Well, this is a, an example of how the attackers are clever and they're getting around that kind of, uh, is that my, I'm oh, quoted there oh, in the register. Story in there because it's oh, got your uh, name. Wow. Surprise, yeah. surprise. Well, if Eric Crone <laughs> has nothing, he has the audacity to only share stories which are relevant to him. Yeah, no, well, but this is another case, though. Seriously, MFA is out there. People are enabling it. The attackers are having to change or or improve their tactics. And in this case, what they do is they basically send you to a fake login screen, um, login, username, password. And what it does is it also captures the session cookie. So what that means is they can go back to this account and log back in using the password they stole. But with the session cookie, what it's doing is it's saying that um, you've already logged in using MFA, so you don't have to use it again, right? So we use MFA once, and it's usually good for an amount of time. So for several days, they don't ever have to have MFA again to get back into that account. And then we all know how south it goes when somebody gets into a legitimate email account and all the stuff they can do there. Yeah, yeah. And just to caveat that, um, we're a big believer in mfa we're not discounting yeah. that at all we're just saying that you need to like every security control no one control is going to be 99 effective that's the message we have to send it's not that oh you don't have to worry about your password you know feel fine if you want to reuse passwords everywhere as long as you have mfa you're good we've got to get away from that kind of mentality that this is the fix for bad passwords. This has been going on for like every five years is a different thing. It used to be like, if you've got antivirus, you're good. If you've got a firewall, no, if you've got a next gen firewall, if you've got EDR, it, you know, so the, these things yeah. keep, keep going and going, but you know, it's not just that case. So uh, ransomware gangs, um, we are not fans of, but they can be useful sometimes. So now if you've 
uh, lost data and you don't know what's what or you've not indexed it properly, they now let you search this <laughs> data. <laughs> How kind of considerate of I know. I mean, this is one of those things. It's not it's not a game changer per se, but it's an incremental improvement. You know, a lot of times what they would do is they would just take all this data and basically dump it on a website that anyone could go to and see. Well, what they're doing now is they're indexing it so that if you want to go there and you want to start pulling stuff out, you can do that. What that means is people may be more likely to go get your data from one of these dumps because they can search it by company name. They can do all that. That means it's more dangerous to your organization. And when it's more dangerous to your organization, it's more valuable to them, which means they can use it as better leverage uh, to get you to pay the ransoms. So it's an iterative thing, but it's an interesting change to make it now to take the time to index it and make it searchable. Yeah. Yeah, because there's a lot of muddying of waters that takes place. So from an attacker perspective, sometimes you can take an old dump and say, hey, we've got your data, pay up. Uh, from a defensive perspective, it also makes sense to say downplay stuff by saying, hey, this is old data. This isn't new. This is taken from uh, an aggregation of breaches from the last 10 years. But this takes away a lot of that. This just like, hey, this is indexed. Here's some metadata. <laughs> here's, the, here's the information have a look through it, and it, it really makes it then difficult. So it's it's a really good way for criminals to assert dominance in, in the area, I suppose. It's, it's, it's like a dog peeing to mark its territory. Like we stole this data. It's um, irrefutably ours. Well, and let's think about how much more useful it would be if the data is searchable. That means it's indexed somehow, right? It's, it's somehow or another structured to where it's a little bit easier to search. If you can download structured data, you can automate that. You can take all those email, you know, uh, email addresses and just plug it into essentially a mail merge for phishing or whatever you want to do with it. Yeah. Right? So there's there's some interesting things that can happen when the data is a little bit more structured, which I'm assuming they're doing in order to make the search work. Yeah. And what would be really funny is if you find out they've developed their own tools to structure the data for you. And like they could be making millions on like data discovery platform or as an inventory. And no, they're using it to structure like ransomed stolen yeah. data. That's How many times do we see that on the criminal side? We're like, man, that'd be a great tool to use yeah. <laughs> like for, for our own stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. I know it's 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 just crazy. There's there's no such thing as as easy money. Right. Um, and uh, oh, we have a question. How do how do know they have old data? We don't know. I, I suppose let's go back to that story and let, let's pull it up again. Well, what you can do is, I mean, if you can easily search it and retrieve it, then you can compare it to other dumps that are out there a lot of times or other data that's been leaked. You know, you. you there's a lot of these aggregation sites out there. Have I been pwned? And by the way, hi, John. Long time no see. Um, but have I been pwned? Places like that that already have some dump data. There are other ones that you could look at that and go, okay, you know what? Because we've seen, like you said, we've seen a couple of these groups where they say that they've done this, but really they they have never owned it. And the stuff they throw up for proof, we've had stories about that, was not. Um, what they had. It was from years old dumps and stuff like that. 
it just makes it easier to get around the data um, and search for it. I love I love the the graphic there, right? That's a search bar for him. Uh, Aunt Karakert, yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. Okay, so again, there's a graphic designer somewhere who's working in the wrong industry. <laughs> I know, I know. Hey, we could use them to uh, to uh, illustrate our book, right? Or are we supposed to talk about oh, that? Yet? No, no, the book is coming along nicely. I haven't given you an update on that, have I, no. Eric? So that, okay, no. now we're having a private conversation in a public forum. Like, let, <laughs> let me make an executive decision. Let's say, let's take it offline, Eric, and we can circle back and touch base. So nice. <laughs> Google updates password manager with new security management tools. So this is Google's inbuilt browser password manager, isn't it? This isn't a separate product they have. Am I right? Well, um, I, I think what they're they're talking about here, and this was your story, so you're supposed to know these things. In my um, story? What? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Um, I, they're not <laughs> talking about the one that's in Chrome. They're talking about like almost like the um, the, the Apple keychain sort of thing, if yes. I'm not mistaken, um, which is different. And a lot of times people have asked me when I'm talking about like password vaults, because, you know, I'm a big fan of password vaults, you know, well, what about just using the one in, in Google or the one in, in Chrome? And I always say my, my answer to that is usually that's kind of a secondary thing. It, it's more for convenience than security. Honestly, that's how I that's how I look at that, where password managers are purpose built. Now, by doing some things like this, Google is actually helping because you can see that they're taking it a little bit more seriously on the um, on the security side overall. Now, I still don't think it's better than having a dedicated password vault set up. Um, I'd rather give my store my information with them than Google, who is a marketing company. <laughs> we always forget that, right? Oh, cool. Yeah. Free services. Uh, they're a marketer. That's how they make their money. Yeah, no. No, that's that's right. So I, th I think every little helps. And, and what I like about these updates is it kind of like nudges users to say, hey, um, you you know, you, this is um, a weak password or uh, something that they've used uh, elsewhere. So before it only used to flag up when um, it's been in a breach. So I think all of these little nudges are really, really useful because it, it slowly shapes people's behavior and their way of thinking. So even if it's not technically forcing them to do something, just that little nudge or that little reminder is is very, very useful, I think. So I think it, it's it's a good thing uh, yeah. overall. Whether people are using this or not, it, it's, it, 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 it doesn't matter because, you know, it's just that constant reminder that that we need. A bit like when you're driving along and you see constantly like slow or speed limit this or what have you, even though you you know it, but you know, that constant reminder just keeps people vigilant. Agreed. Hey, I'm going to pop up this comment here um, from Jeremy Walker from our last one. Yeah. Having structured, easily parsable data is now information, right? That that's a, that's a great way to put that Jeremy. Well done. That is, that is, I, I, it, it's, it's gone from one extreme to the other for one, like, you know, years ago it was we don't have enough information we don't know what we don't know and now it's like we have too much information we we can't find the needle in the haystack so well and um, we're starting to see that that metadata metadata becomes information very quickly you know stuff where we 
we didn't pay much attention to metadata back in the day, but now we know that uh, combining metadata and adding some structure to it um, and linking stuff together can now become some very significant data. Yep, yep, absolutely, absolutely. So the last story, um, it's about cricket, which is like a highly sophisticated form of baseball, which is uh, the, the easiest way I can explain it to you and my American friends. Um, oops, I accidentally. Oh. And um, so anyway, uh, around the world, cricket is a very popular sport. Uh, like many English sports, they invented it and then they turned really crap. But um, it's, it's, it's highly, highly popular in um, the, the Asian subcontinent. So India, uh, uh, Pakistan and Bangladesh, and they all, like India and Pakistan especially, have a very competitive uh, uh, sort of team. But India have their own league internally. It's called the uh, IPL. And uh, like most sports, there's a lot of gambling and betting that goes on in these games. And, and cricket is full of stats. There's like... Um, there's a bowling team, there's a batting team. And then uh, if you're playing a 2020, there's 20 overs and each over has six balls. And then you can bet on all sorts of things like which uh, which player is going to hit a boundary first, whether it's a six or a four, whether, the, the, you know, someone's going to get them out before the 20 overs are over, all that. You have Just... lost me. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> okay. So there's a lot, lots of elements that you can bet on. So that's why cricket is is a really, really... Um, popular game to to bet on anyway the ipl is uh is 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 huge huge in india and uh, <laughs> some enterprising individuals rounded up some friends put them <laughs> put them in ipl looking uh shirts uh what you're seeing on the screen apparently is just a bit of green felt nailed down into the middle of like a a normal like pitch or something to make it look like a, an, an actual cricket pitch uh they're not actually in a cricket ground um and then they put a fake ticker on the bottom so it looks like they basically it, it's a theater or it's made up to make it look like it's an it's an actual live streamed ipl game and they were taking bets online and so there were lots of people, particularly in Russia, <laughs> betting on this game that wasn't actually taking place. And uh, it's absolutely fascinating. I mean, I have to applaud the the sheer entrepreneurial spirit of these people. <laughs> who well, just I, really went I, I read this. Yeah, they had the referees involved with like walkie talkies. Yes, and, and they had speakers set up for crowd noises. Like, just, yes, I mean, they really went over the top with this yes. to make it look legitimate, so they could steal money from the Russians. Which I don't know that that's a crime. <laughs> Sorry, I know it, it's um, just like um, it's it just looks amazing. so sad in the front. Look how despondent they look yeah. sitting in the front. Those are the four people allegedly the masterminds behind it. They were paying like unemployed people like four hundred rupees, which is like nothing three three dollars to to yeah. to uh, to play the game. <laughs> and so it, I think it's just just a great story of like, um, you know, it's 
it's a great story, but it 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 just shows that how it it's it's not even a deep fake, but it's just a fake stream of something, and how people will believe anything as long as it's streamed and it looks official. So well, you know, I, I, I was, yeah, even low tech, even low yeah. tech like this can yeah. can do things. That's I mean, it's amazing that people were doing this um, low tech. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. I have never seen a scam like this. These guys just cleared a patch of land deep inside the village and began playing a match and beaming it onto YouTube to make money through gambling. Even the local villagers were not aware of this. <laughs> we know yeah. very little about the Russians who were putting bets on this game. <laughs> what about the audiences? There were no audiences, um, which uh, reminds us a bit of this show. <laughs> no, we well, do have audiences today. We do, we do. Um, there's a U.S. football league. It's called USFL, okay? And it's yeah. it's kind of a startup here. Um, and we've been seeing it in the offseason from the NFL. Now, here's the thing. When you watch the games, they're playing football. They're really doing things. It is legitimate. But you hear the crowd sounds in the background and all that. But when they pull back, there's actually nobody in the stadiums. Okay, so so you know they're they're hamming it up a little bit. Um, they play this whole thing in like one or two different stadiums as opposed to being like traveling around all over the place. So it's just getting started. I get it. They're trying to add some excitement to the game. But when I watch it, and uh, and you see, you know, you hear the cheers from the crowds, but then they pull back and there's nobody in the stands. You're kind of like, well, you know, it reminds me of the '80s sitcoms with the laugh tracks, you know. It is. It is actually in in WCW before they got taken over by the WWE. They had Goldberg that would come out and they would pipe his chants through the uh, through the speakers to make it seem like to get the crowd involved and to try and get him get him over as 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 a face. And uh, so it, it's it's a, it's a long standing trick. It's just never been used in this in this um, this capacity. We should start doing something like that when we do our presentations. Now that we're going back live, right? We need some sort of like a, an exciting track in the background. I, I remember like I, I made a video of like you doing a talk in Hack Miami, was it? And, the, and there weren't many people in the room. But it would be really good if like we, we do the talk, but you're speaking there and then like round of applause if it's like a stadium and you pull back and there's just like three people sitting there really disinterested. Yeah, that's the one where I had to have my laptop on a bar stool because there was nowhere to put our laptops to present. And yeah, the projector was like this. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that was quite the interesting talk. Why do you got to take me back to that? You've done this a couple times now. You've taken me back to that talk. Just where would you rather I take you back? Not there. Okay, so we've got nothing left to talk about then, Mr. Crone. Anyway, thank you for joining us this week. Uh, thank you, everyone, for your comments. If we didn't get back to you, get through to your comment today, uh, Eric will be replying to you shortly. So with that, thank you very much. Have a wonderful weekend and stay secure, my friends.